This is OMS Voices and Amos Podcast. I'm Bill Klaproth, and with me is Dr. Jim Swift. Dr. Swift, great to see you. Great to be with you, Bill. Absolutely. And we also have Dr. Stu Lieblich. Dr. Lieblich, great to see you as well. Thanks, Bill. Great to be here. Thank you both for your time. Looking forward to this. We're going to be talking about wisdom teeth and answering FAQ. So thank you both for being here again. Dr. Lieblich, let me start with you. So basic question, what are wisdom teeth and why do people have them? Well, that's always the question. Uh, we do also call them third molars. So we think about the first molar being your six-year molar that comes in, the second 12-year molar, and then the wisdom teeth come in after that. Interestingly, uh, in most cases now, we don't have quite enough room in our mouths for all the teeth plus the wisdom tooth. In previous times, it you know, may not have been unusual to lose your first molar. It came in at six, and perhaps through lack of good dental care, fluoride, and all the advances that we have now in dentistry and medicine, now those teeth are maintained, but in the past, those teeth might have been lost, and as the person grew, everything could slide forward. So teeth will move towards the front of the mouth. So that's a theory, hard to prove, but uh, that's our working theory as far as why we have wisdom teeth. Right, and Dr. Lieblich, and it, without the room, then wisdom teeth often get impacted, is that right? Correct. So impacted meaning they're stuck, uh, caught under the gum, caught under the bone, or some combination thereof. And when they're half in and half out, they can create some significant dental issues and medical issues for our patients. Absolutely. And Dr. Swift, does everyone have wisdom teeth? And when do they generally come in? Most people have wisdom teeth, but not all of them have all four of them. There's typically two in the upper jaw and two in the lower jaw. The last teeth back on both the upper jaw and the lowest lower jaw. And there's a variability as to when they come in. Some of it's based upon how crowded they are. If, in fact, there's no space for them to erupt, it may take longer. But what gives the tooth the energy to come into the oral cavity is the development of the tooth roots themselves. And so as these teeth grow and develop, they create the eruptive force that they have to come into the mouth to be functional. You know, when I think of teeth, I don't often think about eruptive force, but that's, uh, <laughs> is that right, Dr. Lieblidge? You were going to add something? Yeah, exactly. And, and interestingly about the uh, variability, both my children only had upper wisdom teeth. So it's variable from one person to another, one family. So there's a genetic composition. But Jim, I'm sure you've seen in your practice, I sure wisdom teeth too. So sometimes people have a fourth molar. Yeah. So we talked about the wisdom teeth getting impacted. So I think I kind of know the answer why, but why remove the wisdom teeth? I think it seems kind of obvious, but I'm sure there's probably a real definition on why it's important they come out. Bill, can I make a point about that? Yeah. They, they actually, the wisdom teeth don't get impacted. Okay. They're prevented from erupting by the lack of space, and that creates the absence of eruption. They, can't, they don't have anywhere to go. So the other teeth that are in front of it, or perhaps the back part of the jawbone, holds them in position, and they can't come in because there's not any space for them. And then you call them impacted at that point in time. Okay, good distinction. I'm glad you said that. So there's no room for them to come out. And so then obviously that's why we have to have them out. Does everybody have them, always have them out? Not at all. So the oral surgeon in conjunction with the patient's dentist will evaluate the case based on clinical examination, based on radiographs or x-rays. Typically the problem we see is when the tooth is kind of half in and half out because the gum tissue won't attach or adhere, adhere to the enamel or crown structure of the tooth. So there's a space between the tooth and the gum where food and bacteria gets caught and creates localized infections. Okay, got it. So then Dr. Swift, when it comes to removing wisdom teeth, how long does it generally take? 
To relate what Stu just said, the fact is that you can't predict the eruption of these teeth. I mean, you can see them on an x-ray, but just seeing them there, you're guessing as to whether they may or not erupt into the mouth. And so it's unpredictable to some degree. And so it's hard to determine at an earlier age, say we have a patient that's 12 or 13 years old, and you can see that there's the portion of the tooth developing in the area where the third molar would be. It's hard to predict if, in fact, they will come into the mouth. Scientists and clinicians have been looking for years to try to make that prediction so that they could determine advice that you would give to someone to determine when they should come out or if they should come out. And if we were better at predicting whether they would be functional teeth and without disease, then likely we wouldn't have to take out as many. Because before they're fully formed, they're easier to remove. Okay, so then when is it time for them to come out or when do we know if they have to come out? Well, from that perspective, it's dependent upon, again, the things that I already mentioned. We use imaging mm -hmm. to try to determine the location of the teeth and how they're developed, and if, in fact, the structures around it are preventing them from erupting. But there's variability, as, as Stu said earlier. They come in at various different points in time. And so most people start looking as to the potential for eruption around the mid-teen years, trying to see if, in fact, there's anything else in the way. If the teeth are crowded in some way, shape, or form, and there's not going to be enough space, then you can start talking about if, in fact, you can predict that those teeth will not be functional. And as a result, then you could make a decision to have them removed at that point or later. So, Dr. Leiblich, if someone puts this off, is there something symptomatic where, oh, God, well, my mouth hurts, it's time for them to come out? Is that the other telltale sign? That's a great point because once pain develops, sometimes it's too late. So an example could be if the wisdom tooth is coming in sideways, growing up against the side of the tooth in front of it, that space then gets created where food and bacteria gets caught and creates decay not only on the wisdom tooth, but on the side of the tooth directly in front of it. And that's typically against the root surface, which is much softer. So if pain develops in that tooth, usually that tooth is now so compromised, it needs to be extracted as well. So we try and make a decision radiographically and on examination from around the age of 15 up through around 25 to determine if it's recommended for the wisdom tooth to come out. But as you asked earlier, we can observe wisdom teeth if we feel they're not going to create problems for the patient. Uh, a great test is just to use what's called a probe, a, a little blunt tip to go behind that molar tooth and see if you can feel the wisdom tooth under the gum. And if you can feel it with the blunt probe, then you know the bacteria can get in there. And very likely that individual will sustain some infection of the gum around the wisdom tooth called a pericornitis. Okay. Interestingly, often affects people in college age, so many times they're out at, away from home, and it's difficult uh, for the family to arrange for care, difficult for the person to take time away from the activities. So, again, an ideal way, if we could, to predict the problematic ones, but we have to use our clinical judgment in many cases. And then, Dr. Swift, through consultation, you'll determine, okay, we're just going to remove this one, or we're going to remove two, or all four need to come out, is that right? Well, it's, it depends upon the condition of all four. Okay. Um, I will tell you that in the in military, in the U.S. military, before soldiers are put out to deploy, most services recommend removal of their third molars because if they have a challenge with an infection in the field when they're fighting, perhaps, then they're, they create a loss of that presence on the battlefield and there's not accessibility. And so that's just one way that one entity has managed the situation. They They don't really 
wait for them to hurt. The concept of waiting for pain is not realistic. If someone says, if, you, uh, if I say to a patient, you need to have your wisdom teeth removed, they might say, well, why? They don't hurt. Well, the, the challenge is that if the longer you wait, the more challenge it might be to remove them. And in addition, the longer they're subjected to an infectious process because infections don't always hurt to the point where they can have a fairly aggressive bacteria that's forming around the, the mm-hmm. teeth that they're adjacent to, causing significant challenges with those bacteria getting into the bloodstream and going to other places. And so, so it's not a matter of doing it when it hurts. It's when it's anticipated that, uh, that you need to remove it to prevent future disease process. Yeah, Dr. Leiblich. Yeah, and we try to make that decision by age 25 because if we can get the wisdom teeth out prior to that age, the healing potential of the gum and the bone is much better. Whereas if you wait till they're 25 and later, uh, there's not as good resolution of the healing of the extraction socket or the space where the wisdom tooth was. So this works great for people that go to the dentist regularly, but for people that don't, that's when you run into the problems. Is that right, Dr. Leibovich? Exactly. And occasionally they can be fairly significant acute infections that can spread into their throat or down into their neck. We've all, uh, both of our practices in hospital settings uh, do have to occasionally admit patients in fairly serious distress. And in significant cases, it can cross and actually block off the airway and create life-threatening complications. So obviously that's rare, but it is something that we see in our practices all the time. Absolutely. So when it comes time to take the tooth out, what is involved with that, Dr. Swift? Well, uh, a determination by the doc as to what needs to be done, how that needs to be approached. There has to be imaging obtained, x-rays to be able to determine where that tooth is in relationship to adjacent structures and where the incisions may need to be made to remove it. And that really dictates the surgical plan to the surgeon the oral maxillofacial surgeon, which typically does this procedure. Right. Dr. Leibovich, you want to add something? Yeah, and then the conversation will then go with the patient, the doctor, and the family members as to the type of anesthetic, whether it's just local anesthetic, uh, often known as Novocaine, or perhaps nitrous oxide laughing gas in Novocaine, or many patients, due to the complexity of the surgery, will have it done with uh, intravenous sedation or anesthesia in the oral and maxillofacial surgeon's office. And then when we talk about healing from wisdom teeth surgery, how long does that generally take, Dr. Swift? Well, Bill, it's, it's somewhat dependent upon the difficulty of the surgery and, and what type of tissue needs to be moved to be able to extract the tooth from its site. I tell my patients that having your third molars out is like having four separate operations in a small space because they are independent of each other. And that typically will generate a desire to have some type of sedation in addition to just the local anesthetic to remove the tooth because we use hand pieces or to be able to remove components of the tooth, or perhaps sectioning it into two pieces or more, or to remove some bone to provide release so that the teeth can be removed. Right. So let me continue with you, Dr. Swift. Are there, or both of you, are there challenges to this? Do people put this off? Because I don't want to deal with anesthesia. I don't want to deal with that stuff. So I'm going to try to put it off. Is that a challenge facing, you know, an OMS? Most definitely, because if they get to be older, then the challenge of removal is increased. And it's likely that the surgery is more invasive. Mm -hmm. And as a result, then the wound is just larger, and that by itself will create more discomfort. Yeah. And you do have to anticipate three to five days of healing in a typical case of a young adult. 
and scheduling that at a time electively when they're home from summer break or away from school or other major activities is often beneficial. If you wait till it becomes infected, then many times we have to clear the infection up first, perhaps with antibiotics, then have the patient in for the procedure. So it takes a three to five day process into a you know 10 to 12 day process or even longer. So Dr. Lieblich, since we're doing wisdom teeth FAQs, what question do you get asked the most when it comes to wisdom teeth? Well, the big concerns are, are pain and swelling. Okay. And, you know, fortunately, in most of many of our cases, they're young, healthy individuals that never have had surgery before. So the anxiety or anxiousness that we have about having an operation is certainly there. Again, the oral and maxillofacial surgeon will spend time to discuss the actual surgical process, the anesthetic plan, and what to expect during recovery. There have been great advances with the use of longer-acting local anesthetics that can provide, you know, six to eight hours of pain relief afterwards uh, so that the patient go home. We're also finding that we can avoid opioids and narcotics in many of our patients, and that's certainly a concern, and oral and maxillofacial surgery has really addressed that as part of society issues of opioid abuse, and we're able to now, in most cases, have opioid-free procedures for our patients. Absolutely. What about nausea and vomiting? Is that another question that comes up? Absolutely. And in anesthesia in general, that's usually more concerning to patients than pain. They'd rather have pain than have nausea and vomiting. And one of the medications that we're able to give patients, which reduces swelling, also reduces nausea and vomiting. Uh, one of the anesthetic agents that many people are aware of called propofol is a anti-emetic or a la- uh, reduces the tendency towards nausea. And then additional agents are available. And that's one other thing the doctor will do is screen the patients for their risk factors of nausea and vomiting. And again, non-opioid, you're able to prescribe non-opioid medication as well, which I would imagine would be beneficial and people like to hear that. Is that right? They do. Uh, It's a conversation to have. We will oftentimes send in a a backup prescription for, say, a small amount of an opioid if need be. Uh, We tell the family, uh, only pick that up if necessary, but this is what we want you to do as far as pain control. And in about 85% of our cases, we find that they don't need to pick up the opioids at all. Which is uh, very good news. And Dr. Swift, the question you get asked most often. How long it will take to heal? Mm -hmm. What do I need to expect? during the next few days, what can I do or not do? Right. And uh, many times they think, well, this is just in my mouth. This is just dentistry. So I don't really need to lay down and recover. And when you see patients go out and exercise or do something strenuous, or they have a job that's high risk that they have to have attention to be able to execute what they do, they need to recover and they need to take time to recover. And when I get a patient that says, well, I'm going to go run a marathon tomorrow, I'm, I just say, well, then get ready for additional pain and discomfort because that's not going to work. This is a surgery, albeit a minor one. If I told them I would make two cuts in their forearm on each side and drill a hole <laughs> in the bone, they would probably not do something so crazy. Right. But but they don't. They think of it as dentistry, and they say, well, gee, that's no big deal. It's just my teeth, mm-hmm. so why should I worry about that? Well, you mentioned what they can and, and cannot do. What can they do and what can't they do? Well, as far as strenuous exercise, I say stay away from that. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, if they're taking opioids or medications, then they should be precluded from operating a motor vehicle or machinery. And anything that takes concentration in some situations, if they feel lightheaded, 
then they're operating machinery in, in such a way that could be harmful to others. It's just not a wise thing for them to do normal activity. So I typically tell my patients that it's going to be at least three or four days before they can recover to a great enough degree to be able to do that. And some of it's dependent upon how they feel. Everyone takes it a little bit differently. Right. So good to set those expectations right up front. Well, thank you both. This has been a great discussion. Last question before we wrapped up. wrap up, Dr. Swift, I'll start with you. Anything else you want to add when it comes to wisdom teeth and frequently asked questions? Um, I think that it is an essential procedure for most people, but there is an undertow out there uh, by various different agencies that say that there's not a necessity to remove wisdom teeth, that it's of no value to do it early or prophylactically so that you can prevent problems. I totally disagree with that discussion because when we see these individuals at age 50 or 60, and they have an infection around their third molar at that point in time, the risk of complications is greatly increased. Although there are people that would say that they're not, but the data shows that they are greatly increased. And so in that particular situation, it's reasonable to do it on the front end and try to anticipate what might happen by by doing this earlier when someone's youthful and healthier mm -hmm. and not having to deal with other conditions or medical conditions that for which they may be taking medications. Yeah, that makes sense. And Dr. Leiblich, final thoughts from you. Yeah, kind of echoing what Dr. Swift said, uh, don't wait for it to hurt. That's usually a sign <laughs> it's too late. Uh, see your dentist regularly for your six-month visits. If they make a referral to an oral maxillofacial surgeon, understand it's a consultation. The oral surgeon will also look at your exam and your x-rays and help make a combined decision with your health, other health care providers uh, whether they should be removed or not. Absolutely. Dr. Swift, thank you for being here. Thank you, Bill. My pleasure. And Dr. Leibelich. Thank you, Bill, and a pleasure to be with my esteemed colleague, Dr. Swift. Thank you. Yes, and same for me, Dr. Leibelich. Absolutely. A great discussion. Thank you both. And for more information in the full podcast library, please visit myoms.org. And if you found this podcast interesting, please share it on your social media and don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening.